Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CSEP podcast. My name is Alan Selby, and I'm your host for season two of the show as we discuss all things high performance. Today, I'm very excited for our guest, Daniel Noble, as he is uh, my former boss and my mentor. Dan Noble is an athletic development coach at the Hill Academy. He is owner of Noble Sports and Performance and directs the off-season programming through Hill Performance Training. Dan specializes in fostering the development of elite athletes through a process that focuses on mastering efficient movement patterns, mechanics, and creating sustainable, adaptable athletes. He believes in training movement over muscle. Dan has worked with a number of elite NHL, NLL, and NCAA athletes. Dan speaks and presents on many different topics, but specializes in the art of coaching and motivating athletes who are in the process of transitioning to the professional level. He is a mentor to many athletes and believes strongly in a multifaceted approach to athletic development. Dan challenges athletes to be difference makers, not only on the playing surface, but also in life. Prior to working with the Hill Academy and launching Noble Sports and Performance, Dan played professional football in Europe, as well as for the University of Guelph. It was in Guelph where Dan mentored under performance specialist Chris Mumford. Dan works closely with leaders in the strength and conditioning community to ensure evidence-based and relevant training practices in order to stay up-to-date on best practices for our athletes. Dan is the best coach I've ever seen in action, and I'm very excited to have him on the show today to chat. Yeah, so why don't we begin with uh, you telling us a little bit about your journey of how you got into coaching? Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on a little bit. Uh, I mean, it feels like so long ago now. It almost feels uh, ridiculous to talk about. But, um, you know, years and years ago, my my dream was to, um, I guess, first, my dream was to be a professional hockey player, which was quick, quickly squashed, quicker than most. Um, and I realized I was much better at hitting people than I was at scoring goals. So uh, I transitioned to football and then my dream kind of transitioned with that is to kind of pursue a career in professional football. Uh, I went to University of Guelph and again, didn't really have much of a focus on anything outside of football. Um, you know, at the time I wasn't a very good student, you know, I struggled through high school, um, you know, had, uh, you know, various learning disabilities and other and behavioral issues and, and was, was kind of an asshole to be honest, but, um, what you know, uh, I, I, I was, was, <laughs> but managed to uh, grow up, you know, under the guidance of some really good coaches and mentors and people I had in my life. And um, um, so fast forward, I graduated from the University of Guelph after seven long years and uh, with a three year BA and uh, not really sure knowing what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, so again, I spent two years, you know, traveling around uh, to all the CFL combines and, and open tryouts and anyone else. I was kind of like the happy Gilmore of Canadian football, I felt like at times. Um, and, uh, you know, so that failed. And, and um, uh, but I did get an opportunity to go play overseas in Italy for two seasons and won two Italian Super Bowls. Not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> which is, is hilarious because half the time, you know, there'd be guys smoking cigarettes on the sidelines and, and, uh, eating kibasa, you know, so it, uh, it was, a, but it was an awesome experience. And, um, so I came back from there 
and you know had, had really done a lot of soul searching and grown up and and uh, you know really thought about what I want to do with my the next part of my life and and I just wanted to find a way to give back um, and the people that had a really big impact on me were were phys ed teachers and other, and other coaches and so I, I went off to teachers college and um, when I was at teachers college I um, and again at this time had no no desire to be um, a strength coach or really even kind of had an idea that you could have a profession, you know, that could be a job, you know, that you make a livelihood after it, you know, and um, I probably didn't respect it as much as I should have during the time, you know, I was at Guelph and we had a great strength coach. Um, um, but um, so anyways, uh, while I was there, I met uh, the, at the time girlfriend of uh, an NFL player, professional Neil Patrick Merrill, who um, whose family at the time was just starting a sports academy um, that was called the Hill Academy, and it was just starting out. In, in, at that time, it was in its first year of operation, um, and uh, so they were looking for. They needed teachers. They needed dorm parents. They needed bus drivers and everything else under the sun. And she had kind of heard about my story, and and I and I had no job and you know really no place to live and and no girlfriend, no prospects. I was, I was pretty much a big loser at the time and, and I would have taken anything. So, um, I took a job at the Hill Academy. We had 12 kids at the time. And, uh, my first year there, I was driving a bus and living in a dorm, you know, teaching grade nine, 10, 11, 12 science. And as well as some French and I don't speak French. Um, and uh, so I was not even a strength coach at the time. One of the people that was involved the school early on was actually the strength coach and um so they he had ended up leaving the school two months in and you know i i had spent some time with him and just watching what he was done and, and i kind of really um at first to be honest the thing that lured me to the gym was just be able to the connect with the kids and then just the i think i really missed the you know the the team environment the locker room environment and so it really felt at home to be in the gym with the students at the time. And so I went to the school, I went to the school owner, Peter Merrill, um, who's been a lifelong mentor of mine now to this point for 14 years. Um, and just said, like, I knew the school didn't have a lot of money. I said, let me do this. I'll do it for free. And, um, and then the kind of the rest is history. You know, I started off, you know, again with 12, 14 kids and, um, was a really bad strength coach at first, but I was super motivational and I could get kids to do almost anything, you know, you know, run up hills till they puked and, and try to back squat way too much with really bad technique and, and work themselves at a super high intensity every single day. Um, and then I really had to, you know, there, I hit, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I, I think I went on, um, uh, and visited someone else's facility and I was just blown away. I'm like, wow. I'm like, I don't do any of this. I'm like, I need to decide if I want to be an actual coach here or am I just going to be, you know, a cheerleader and, and, and get kids hurt and, and, uh, um, you know, get in the way rather than help support them. So, um, from there on, I, I reached out and connected with some really good mentors, Chris Mumford and, and Vern Gambetta, um, who kind of just took me under their wing, uh, thankfully enough. And, um, and they kind of challenged me and took me kind of through the ABCs because again, like at university, I, I wasn't like a lot of people that took, I had no background at all outside of just that. I was really good at bench press and, and bent and back squatting. And I was pretty jacked and good looking, but other than that, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I, I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, 
and I, and that came up even more so when I started spending more time with people that didn't know what they were doing. And so I literally, uh, you know, created my own university after I finished school. And, um, you know, I, I, went, I fell in love with reading and, and, uh, just research and, and, you know, and again, at the time, 14 years ago, podcasts weren't really available. The internet was still, you know, it was okay, but it was just kind of scattered. And, you know, Mike Boyle was probably the best resource for me at that time was strengthcoach.com. Um, and again, uh, you know, so I kind of just started going through that process and, um, and, you know, and again, it, it's been, you know, those guys kind of saved my career and, and made me into the coach I am today. Um, and so I'm incredibly grateful for them. And, and so I'm still learning and I still make mistakes, but, you know, again, 14 years later, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of where I'm at as a coach. I can say that I think without bragging, but just, you know, I, I've come a long way under the grace and, and tutelage of, of other people, you know, and that people have just made time for me. And, and, um, and again, going back to our relationship, I think it's, you know, I, I feel, you know, incredibly proud to have seen where you, what you've done in your journey. And, um, and it just, you know, again, realizing that you the impact you can have in people's lives, not only students, but coaches and, um, and it's much bigger than just getting bigger, stronger and faster. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've been one of my number one mentors for sure in my career. Um, and you touched a bit on some mentors in your career as well there uh, in that answer. Uh, season one of this podcast was actually strictly focused on mentorship. Uh, this season, obviously, is high performance. And uh, we want to talk to you about the art mm -hmm. of coaching today and everything. But uh, if you just want to kind of elaborate a little bit more on how mentors helped shape your coaching philosophy and helped uh helped shape you along the way yeah no absolutely you know for me again with my learning style like i, I i've never been great in an academic setting um and so i learned through discussions and and talking and watching and and, and just you know others experience like i love hearing other people's stories and and um and I think for me, so to me, the go of the road I did with mentors uh, was just, you know, it was right for me. Um, again, I wish I could go back and have, and have taken the path that you had taken and, and had people, you know, some of the professors and coaches that you had the opportunity to learn under, but um, that wasn't the case. But I, I think the biggest thing for me, and I'll say this to, cause I'm sure you get a lot of young strength coaches as well. Um, you know, listen to this cast. Like when I was, when I was coming up and I reached out to these people, um, I was very respectful of the fact of not asking for anything um, for free, you know, and, and being careful of, you know, these guys, you know, you think about how many, you know, there's probably, you could probably create a, a Mount Rushmore of 10 coaches that everybody wants to learn from. Right. And um, you, you know, they, they get requests after request of just, you know, answering questions, answering the same questions over and over and over again. And, and without anyone really looking just to give what, what they can provide or what they can give back. And so my mindset has always been with, with mentors. And when I reach out to people that outside of my circle of influence is, is one first of just like being grateful for what they've done, you know, like being grateful for, um, you know, the time and, and the countless hours of research and, and, and input they've had in our field and how they've helped push it for again, like guys like Vern Gambetta being like some of the first professional 
paid strength coaches in professional sports. Like, you know, guys like you wouldn't have a job without him, you know, and, and there's just, you know, again, paying homage to that and respecting that and, and also listening just like, you know, you know, not going in there with expectations of, of, you know, things that you want to share, but just sitting back and listening. And, and I'm always very, you know, again, this is, this is me, but I'm always, I lead that like, you know, Hey, listen, I will always pay for your time. You know, like I, I went into, I went to Vern's house and I basically said like, look, I'd like to spend two full days with you. You know, I'll pay for your time. And, um, I just, you know, I, I just need to immerse myself in this and, it, and, 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 you know, what I paid for that was the best experience and the best investment I ever made. I didn't have the money at that time to do it. I had to borrow it from my parents. And, um, but you know, the relationship that came from that, you know, I think initially for Vern, it probably started off as like a transaction and, you know, I was coming, I, I paid him for a job and he was going to, you know, you know, provide that service, but we just connected. And, you know, from that, you know, it became just a relationship where we built, a mutual respect for each other. And, and, you know, he gave me access to resources that are invaluable, you know, that are not online and other things. And just, again, like, I think mentors challenge us and they push us and they keep us on track and they keep us humble. Um, but they, they also just also there too, like just event, you know, and the frustration and the pursuit of, you know, of, of our dreams and excellence and what we're trying to do. And, and so I think it's just so important to surround yourself with people um, that know, not only can challenge you and hold you accountable, but also support you and, and the people that believe in you when you don't necessarily always believe in yourself. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, you know, paying coaches for your time, your checks in the mail. So, uh, <laughs> you, you know, with Corona, it's, uh, <laughs> you may not get it for a while, until after this air airs but uh yeah it's on its way <laughs> um, uh thank you for that detailed uh answer uh i want to shift gears a bit here and just talk a bit about your coaching philosophy yeah um i think my philosophy has always been one and i think it's probably rooted in based my own state um you know being someone that uh was a pretty emotional athlete um I guess you could probably say volatile um, and didn't have um, struggled with connecting with a lot of coaches. And, uh, you know, I, that my, my play was very indicative of which I was playing for. And, um, and I look back on that now and it's frustrating because I'm like, you know, that it, it shouldn't matter who you're playing for. It shouldn't matter if it's a player's coach or, you know, a hard ass or a dictator or, the, ta- the you know the tactician like you know just the those guy like you shields and um you know i you know if you asked me 10 10 years ago i you know i'd have a lot of blame in point a lot of and I, now i've taken upon myself to to write a lot of those things that i didn't like and and really trying to understand of individualizing my communication and i think you know the majority of athletes i work with like i like i'm amazed and I was talking to someone this today, the skill level in, in hockey, right? You know, and we both work in hockey and, 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 you know, and it's fun to watch a guy is just so unbelievably talented and um, can, you know, stick in or can fly, can shoot, you know, can skate, all of those things. Um, but then for, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to, to translate into the games or it doesn't to you know they've never been able to kind of 
get their careers to where they, you know, want to get to and, and, you know, they never make it to that next level. And I, and I just think that it, it just makes me think that the, the mental aspect and the personal aspect of, of coaching is so important and understanding how to really, truly, you know, so where you are out in the NHL is, you know, skill is not the difference maker. It's mindset, you know, and outside of, you know, kids and, and Sidney Crosby's who, who just blessed to watch them and the gift that they bring, you know, to hockey right now in this period. But, you know, for the most part, from the 98% of those players, the skill level is all pretty similar, but what separates them is their mindset, you know? And so for me, I tried to spend a lot of time understanding that mindset um, of understanding the quote unquote uncoachable athlete, you know, and quote unquote, the, uh, you know, the, um, the too soft athlete or, you know, all the other cliches that get thrown around by you know coaches that get frustrated with athletes that should be able to do more. Right. And so I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time just trying to understand what, drives these athletes and and how to how to pull out of them you know and maximize potential but at the end of the day not making it about me but making it about them and understand and letting them kind of begin to understand what really makes them tick you know and because it, it no matter what they do if they don't see it if if they're not able to flip the switch it's never going to happen right so yeah so i guess in a long story you know it's a long-winded answer but it's really a people journey. A lot of conversations and, and self-reflection. Sometimes tough conversations, um, but it's one thing I've never shied away. Is I'm I'm not scared to be vulnerable. You know, I, I share a lot about my own life and my own struggles. Um, and my athletes same. fuzzy, and then sometimes it can be dirty in in terms of like people dealing. Looking in the mirror and really accepting responsibility for some things in their life that they've been running from. So um, I don't know if that free, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting. Uh, I mean, again, like I, coaching to me has always been a calling, and and the calling has been about people and and trying to connect people to become the best versions of themselves. You know, and and the performance side has all been, um, you know, a benefit of that. Uh, that was great, Nobs. I'm just going to. Uh hang up this recording and we'll start one fresh just because you're kind of cutting out a little bit okay um, so i think if we re- i'll resend you a link and we'll just continue where we okay leave off right here so yeah we'll... okay today's pdc code word is motivation please log into your cset portal account and use the code word motivation to claim your professional development credits uh yeah that was great response i mean we definitely i definitely appreciate your uh your approach to coaching and how, you know, it's very person oriented. You're not just like trying to fit everyone into one bucket and you, you really do have a way of motivating athletes. Um, you talked a bit about, you know, being vulnerable with them. Uh, what are some other ways you tend to build buy-in with your athletes? Um, I think the biggest thing is, is asking good questions, right. And understanding, you know, the way, the way we kind of typically start our off season is, is sitting down and having a, you know, kind of a face-to-face one-off meeting and, and, and really getting them to reflect on their own process. You know, things like, you know, if you could pick one thing that you think is holding you back right now from going to a different level, like what would it be? And then really pushing them on that, pushing them, be, you know, because a lot of them will say, Oh, I need to get faster. Okay. Well, what does that mean? 
well, why aren't you faster? Right. Like in, in, you know, what's behind that. Right. And, you know, um, and then, you know, talking it through with them of, you know, like, well, what would your coaches say about you right now? You know, what would your, you know, what, what would your skills coaches say about you? Right. You know, and what do you think? Like, what do you want? Like, what's your legacy? You know, when I talk, when I'm doing with professional athletes, it's a lot about like, well, what do you want to leave? What kind of mark do you want to leave on the NHL? You know, what kind of, um, you know, what do you want your teammates to say about you, you know, and, and try to, you know, really dig down deep. Is it, you know, is, is the thing that's holding them back? Is it an effort thing? Is a, is, is it a physiology thing? You know, is it a, is it a patterning thing? You know, is it mechanical, you know, or is it, uh, you know, a psychological thing, you know, and, and from there, it's my job to kind of build out, you know, make sure that I'm surrounding these athletes with, you know, everything they need um, to address those gaps, you know, and that's not all going to come from me, right. That's, it's going to be come from my team and, 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 you know, I, I, I do the best I can to recognize who's the best person to be able to fill that gap, you know, and, but I think once athletes feel like you actually listen to them, and that this, you know, as, as much as programs, as you know, can be very similar, you know, from program to program and individualization and customizations can be, you know, a term that's misused at times. I think when athletes feel like you really care about, you know, because how many times an athlete, oh, my shoulder, it clicks all the time. It clicks all the time. Every time I do an overhead, it clicks, it clicks. And you, and you see coaches that are just like, yeah, yeah, you're fine. It's just scar tissue or, you know, yeah, it's, you know, it's just, you got to work through it, you know, and. I think athletes at times feel like horses, you know, and that no one listens to them, you know, and, and it's, you know, and it, and it's just, I think the benefit of them. And I think even, uh, and again, I'll be careful how I say this, but, you know, I think the benefit from, you know, your, your players, not your specific, but NHL players getting out of the NHL training facility for a summer, it gives them a, a, just a different voice and vice versa when they go back to you guys, you know, and cause I, I'm guilty of that too, of sometimes like you just get numb to people, right? Like, you, you know, you don't, you stop listening. Right. And you know, you start to write things off as excuses and everything else. And, and so I, I've just done a really, I've done, I've really tried to focus on myself of being patient and listening to guys and trying to understand. Um, and, and sometimes it's shit, right? Like sometimes I hear and I'm like, yeah, that's shit. You, you need to just do this. It's not going to be fun. Right. Like, um, but then there's other times when, you know, it's, you know, it's led to, you know, diagnosing other things that were going on, you know? And so I think just the fact that when, when athletes feel like they're valued and that they have, um, they're at the center of what's happening and that they have say and opinions and, um, and we're not just trying to act like we're smarter than them all the time. I think that that really helps with, with the buy-in and, and again, just putting them, involving them in the process and giving them ownership over what's happening. Right. And, uh, I think, you know, when, when I've done that, uh, they end up giving for the most part, they give back tenfold. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, uh, in my experience and seeing you coach, I definitely think that's true in terms of, you know, athletes knowing you care and, uh, wanting to, you know, do right by you as well. Right. Not just, Sometimes it's intrinsically motivated. Sometimes it's extrinsic or doing it for sure. Uh, someone else beside yourself. Right. So, uh, I mean, I've witnessed that in watching you coach for sure. Uh, another thing, you know, and the, the side note, sorry to cut you off. There, no worries. Um, cause I, uh, but in the one thing I'll tell you that I'm dealing with right now, though, is, is also realizing that, 
there are some people that come in that just want to be transactional, right? They want to come in, they want to work and they want to get the heck out of there. And, you know, those are athletes I've always struggled with, right? Like, you know, cause I am such a connector, but again, I've taken it upon myself, you know, like where I've had guys that like, Hey, I don't need your after school special lesson. He's like, I just, I just want to, I want to lift and get out of here, you know? And, and again, it's a part of the job of, again, understanding those guys, right? Like, and seeing that, like, not, you're not going to reach everybody in the same way, you know? And I, and I'm still, I struggle with that because I, I want to have the same impact on every single athlete. And, um, and, and I, I, you know, it causes me to lose sleep at night. Um, you know, even with, you know, at the Hill Academy and I'm working with our young athletes, like, um, especially as I've gotten older, you know, like this generation, um, it's different. And I, I hate that I said this generation it makes me feel like a grandpa, but <laughs> it's just uh, like, it, um, it's just different, you know, like, you know, I used to be able to, you know, when I first started the Hill, like, man, like I, I, you know, I would, I would have my moments, man, like where I would hit 10, you know, and from an intensity level. And now, like, I feel like I've, I've like become so mellow in my approach but then there'll be times when athletes will be walking out crying. I'm like, what did I say? You know, like, and, and I just, and, and again, it's something that I've really tried to look at this year of like, uh, I, I've really had to step back and realizing that like sometimes, um, you know, especially with younger people, like the amount of encouragement athletes need these days. And, and again, like, I, I'm not scoffing at that. Cause I, I believe that I, I don't, I think we, are in an era and I don't want to go on a soapbox here, but I think we are in a situation with society now that parents demand so much from their kids at such a young age, at such a prolonged period, by the time they hit high school, very few people have just put their arm around them and said, great job. You know, I'm proud of you. Yeah. You, you bring so much to this team and, and I, and I just, I'm just so thankful for you, you know, and, and I, and I forget that. And, and I'm like, they think they're running as hard as they can. I'm like, no, I need you to run faster. Like, you know, I need you to do this better. You know, I need you to lift, move that weight faster. And, and they look at me like, well, didn't you see how hard I was just trying there? I'm like, you know, they just want a compliment. And I'm just like, well, I'm not giving you one yet. You know, like I need <laughs> you to do more, Yeah. you know? And, and I think, you know, um, but I think it's a very fine line, you know, of there needs to be that pressure, that breaking point pressure of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. But then, you, you know, the, you know, kind of the secret ingredients is knowing, when to bring them back from that brinking point and building them back up, you know, because if you go too far and again, like mental health is such an issue in, in today's day and age that you can put yourself in a really dangerous situation. So I think it's a point of knowing when to push, but also again, just knowing what people need to hear, because I think half the time people come into the gym and we don't know what else they've dealt with that day. Right. Like we don't know how, again, at the Hill, it's like, there there's so much pressure on them to get the grades to get into the school they want to get into there's so much pressure from their coaches to perform there's pressure from their parents to be able to maximize um this opportunity that their parents have you know gone out of their way and sacrificed to give them you know so when they come to the gym it's like for whatever reason the gym becomes that <laughs> yes so i think the you know the gym becomes for whatever reason the gym becomes a, a place that it kind of really exposes athletes boiling points you know and i think they're able to manage their stress on the playing field they're they're able to manage their stress in the classroom because they're very results oriented and and you know whether they like their coach or not or they like their teachers or not they've they know they have to get a grade it's very black and white and a lot of these athletes day and age are very results driven 
um, right or wrong. And I think so they can compute that, you know, they can process, but when they come to the gym, it can be a gray area, right. Or they think they're moving the weight fast. And I'm like, you need to move it faster. Um, you know, and them understand the intent and, um, you know, I think, you know, again, one of the things that I'm trying to continue to get better at is, is understanding when to pull back and when to push and, and knowing, um, because at the same point, I think sometimes we need to crank the heat up and we need that pot to boil over, you know, because it's our job to make them comfortable with being uncomfortable. But at the same point, we also have to respect, um, that not everybody can come back from that when you, when you push them too far, you know, and I think it's, it, especially with the mental health crisis we have right now is we've got to be very mindful and, and always following up. And, and my rule in training, and you know, this, and we've kind of walked through it, but you know, anytime I have a, an issue with an athlete or we push or we butt heads, you know, I always try to have the 24 hour rule where we can talk about it and, and they understand that, you know, um, what I was saying was coming from a place of caring and, and positivity and not, uh, and not trying to be a bully, you know, and, and not trying to criticize. And then there's times I've, I, I never have an apology, uh, an issue with apologizing to athletes. You know, sometimes I do bully, you know, and sometimes I am critical and it's wrong, you know, and I'm not perfect. And, and, um, and I need to, and I think it's important that coaches understand that. Like sometimes we can be dicks and no one cares about our science or no one cares about our philosophy and that we need to, just again just say i'm sorry for being an asshole you know and uh, and move on from there and i think from there you know and i kind of think of like you and david levin right you know and you guys you guys went from butting heads every single day to really developing a strong respect and 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 you know understanding for each other yeah yeah definitely uh yeah a good example of you know an athlete where i've had that kind of uh relationship with but i think in the end of the day you know we got to understand where each other were coming from better and mm-hmm. yeah we definitely a relationship grew off of that and it got to the point where you know we really respected each other and stuff so yeah i mean that's something i feel i i learned from you um i think you know you touched on uh you know teaching them about getting comfortable being uncomfortable i think one of your skills is you don't just coach the athlete in the gym is you teach a lot of life skills like that, uh, to your athletes. I mean, uh, like you've said too, in the past, the chances of most of these athletes becoming professional is, is very slim realistically. Right. So, uh, one experience they need to take away from this is, you know, something that will, they'll carry with them for the rest of their life in terms of being a better person. So, I think, you know, that's one of your big strengths as a coach. Can you just kind of uh, tell our listeners, you know, what strategies you use to help develop the athlete, not only obviously yeah. as a gym, but as a person? Yeah, no, I, I think um, one of the things that I've always, um, I've tried to do and kind of, I guess, if you call it our system or, you know, but, you know, we, we start every workout. I'm very, I'm very big on just connecting and, uh, um, and just, you know, having moments of like where, you know, we're putting our arms around each other daily and, 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 and just, again, like connecting, you know, you know, both, you know, emotionally and just, you know, sometimes with a pat on the back or an arm around the shoulder. And, and so we start every workout, you know, we bring everyone into a huddle, you know, I'm very big on, um, on, on the huddle, you know, again, like I grew up in kind of a little bit of a, uh, had amazing parents, but it was a little bit of a, a troubled home and a broken home at times. And, um, 
and uh, you know, so for me, I always found my family to be in the huddle, you know, on the football field. And so it's a very comfortable place for me to be. And, and I think we don't spend enough time looking each other in the eye. And I find when coaches talk to the groups that are just, they're stacked in front of each other. You got every, every time I look at that, you got guys kicking dirt and kicking rocks and, and you, you don't have the attention of the audience. And I, I, I think the start of a workout is so important. And so, you know, I want to be able to look into everybody's eyes at the beginning of every single workout. I want to, because right off the bat, I, you know, we, we, lo- we can do as many wellness surveys as we want. We can do as many wellness surveys as we want, but there's power in just looking at people the way they're standing, their, their posture, you know, the bags under their eyes, like they're smiling, laughing, you know, stress. You can just see it, especially in young athletes. And so, you know, if, I, if I'm in a team environment, we're starting every workout, we get shoulder to shoulder. And, you know, I'm explaining the lift and oftentimes it'll start with a quote or just a, a theme or a philosophy or again, like, you know, if, if we're in like a general prep phase or if we're in kind of like a, you know, a high intensity, you know, power endurance stuff, you know, it's, it's kind of preparing for them. Like, Hey, today's going to be a fight, you know, today's going to be a battle and it's supposed to be really hard, right? It's supposed to be uncomfortable. Um, so whatever you're feeling like, you know, that that's fine, right? Like you, you want to yell and get pissed off and, and, but, we're, we're going to get through this together, you know, and then there's other days when, you know, it, it, it's more about coordination and synchronization and, and, and movements and flowing and, and it's going to be a little more technical. Right. And so they need to be engaged and patient and, and listening and learning and asking good questions. Right. So, but I feel what the beginning of that workout does is allows me to prime them mentally so they can know what to prepare for. And, um, and I think that's incredibly important. And then at the end of the workout, it's the same thing as, you know, then we're debriefing, you know, we're going to debrief, we're going to ask questions, you know, we're going to see, you know, and again, it gives me an opportunity to look around the circle. Who's got dry hair, who's got wet hair, you know what I mean? And, and obviously, you know, you got the athletes always tell you they don't sweat. And I know that's the case <laughs> for some, but you, you can tell who's worked and who hasn't worked today, you know? And I think it's good for, it's good for those athletes that, you know, again, are just scratching the surface and cutting reps and, and pretending that when they put their arm around a guy like Shane Wright, and they see that guy soaked every single day that they understand that there's a reason why this guy is where he is, you know, and he just works his ass off every single day. Right. And yeah. so I want people, I want people to feel uncomfortable with that. Right. I want them to say, like, I want them to have to look people in the eye. I'm like, you know, shit, this guy, it works me, you know, like I want them to feel very insecure about that, you know, and, and I know that sounds kind of old school and, you know, but there's a point where like, I'm not going to call you out personally, but again, I want you to have to look your demons in the eye and see when you don't, when you don't answer the bell and then you expect the same things as other people are getting every single day on a consistent basis, you know, there's a reason why, right. You know, and um, you know, success leaves clues, you know? And so again, and, and again, it's my job not to give up on those people and, but it's to use those little moments of building people up. And then when you do have that guy that hasn't been answering the bell, you know, it's a great opportunity. You got to celebrate those guys, you know, as much as I sound maybe cold hearted before when those guys do something right, I'll celebrate the shit out of them, Yeah, you know, because I want them to know it, you know, I want them to know when they hit that spot, you know, they hit that effort, you know, you know, of what I'm looking for and they get that exercise, right. Um, I, you know, I want to celebrate that, you know, I, w- I want them to know and can't, because again, a lot of those guys, there's a reason why they don't go there. Right. Because, you know, um, you know, they're, they're scared of failure. Um, they're, they're not used to being uncomfortable. You know, they're, they're insecure deep down about, you know, not being the man or, or being outworked by somebody. And so they do what they can not to put them in a situation where they can get exposed. But if I can create an environment where they feel like 
they're surrounded by people that aren't looking to expose them. We're looking to, you know, support them and say, Hey, look, you know what? It doesn't matter what you're lifting. It doesn't matter if there's 45s on each side or three 45s on each side. You know, we're all chasing personal excellence here. Right. And it's about you giving your best. And if you give your best, that guy's going to give his best. Right. And, and that stuff's contagious, you know? So I think, it, you know, there's a lot of power in just connecting at the beginning and the end of each workout. And there's a lot to it, you know, again, from a, you know, just an anecdotal standpoint that a coach can pick up um, from the feel of a group. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, I think it's very powerful. Definitely. Uh, and I've seen you definitely deliver some very motivating speeches in those huddles that uh, really gets the athletes, you know, going. And, uh, you know, personally, I've seen you do things like call out bad body language, which I think has been uh, really good. Even, you know, I'll catch myself sometimes like, it palms up and then I'm like, nope, nope, wouldn't approve of that. that <laughs> uh, it's those little things that kind of stick with you. And I think, uh, you know, you talked a bit about uh, looking at the guy next to you and, and seeing how hard he's working, that motivating you. And, uh, you know, all, all these things, I think, come together to really teach the athletes a bit about, you know, the importance of working hard, right? Yeah. And I, and I think that's like, you know, it's, it's an underrated component of our job, right? Like, you know, we're, we're in a state in our field where it's, it's very, it's become very science driven, which is awesome. You know, like we, you know, there, there's technology, there's unbelievable technology and, and just some really bright people um, that are doing some amazing things. I said, but at the end of the day, like our job is to, you know, put these people, put these athletes in the best possible position to do what they're really good at on a nightly basis, you know? And, and I think for me, it's like every time we come together as a group, we're investing in the team. We're, you know, we're making a deposit into our culture and, and how we treat each other and what are, and the expectations we place on each other and what we deem acceptable and non-acceptable as a group. And I think, and again, my, and my goal has always been to, that it's athlete driven. You know, and that like, you know, I talk about having guardians of your culture, right? You know, so it's like putting the athletes in positions where they have a voice and they can start to, you know, push each other and they start to see the people that aren't pulling their weight. Um, but you gotta like again, if I think if coaches just let athletes come in and out every day and and again the pro level is different and you know that. Um, but still trying to find ways where those daily investments are coming into your culture and who you wanna be, right? Yeah. Because you can't just be the signs on the wall, right? Like everyone talks, you know, coaches start off every year with, you know, packets and culture, you know, slideshows, and this is who we're going to be in motivational videos. But like, if you're not investing in what matters every single day, whatever you said, the first day of training camp is going to be gone after a month, yeah. you know? And so I think it's, it's on us more than anybody. And I say, it's, I, and sometimes I think sport coaches don't even realize this, but like we are such we we are in the middle of 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 that culture transition that process you know and that if we we are you know i've always looked at we're direct extensions of the coaches you know because um you know the coaches are seeing them in practice and but we're seeing them in a very unfiltered light and you know we're seeing the true a lot of the true personalities come out and and people have you know are a little more courageous to speak up and and do things and so i think it's it's we we're able to get really good litmus tests on is that call, you know, are we the team that we want to be in? And, you know, are, are we just pretending to be the team that we want to be? Yeah. I mean, uh, you touched a lot there on, obviously on culture. Uh, I know you're big into reading books like personal in a way and legacy uh, stuff, you know, about uh, developing a, 
a great culture uh, with your team and in the gym. Uh, what are some of the ways you've implemented the teaching of these books and uh, kind of formed your culture, both on teams with the Hill Academy and just even in your private training in the summer with uh, the off-season athletes? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, I think, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm someone that can get, I go through phases of inspiration and, and, you know, I, you know, I have ADD and I switch, you know, I change at times. I, I have to be cautious that I get bored of something, but at the, although I may have seen it a hundred times, an athlete may have only seen it once, you know? Um, and so, you know, I'm not necessarily a huge creature of habit, but at the same time, um, I just love reading books and seeing what other successful organizations are doing and, uh, and being inspired by that, you know, so, you know, probably the easiest example is, as just looking at the, you know, reading the book legacy and, and, and looking at the all blacks, we spent a lot of time studying them and, and we actually brought in Graham Henry and, um, to speak and which you were a part of too, but, um, we took the principles that the all blacks, um, had, uh, you know, their 15 principles and we broke them up amongst our athletes. And we, we gave each, we gave each group of athletes a principle they had to research and present on. And then they had that we gave them like a, a two by four and they had to, um, you know, paint or create their, you know, whatever their principle was, they had to put it on that plank and they could do whatever they want with it and went up on the gym wall and it's kind of become, so we have these 15 planks on the wall and they're all decorated differently. And, and, um, but each standard has become, you know, basically our first month of school is breaking down those standards, you know, and, and introducing them and trying to empower, you know, our kids with the knowledge and understanding so that they can take them and they can run with them. Because the one, the one thing, the cool thing about the All Blacks, man, and, and you know, I've spent our time with some of their coaches as well as, as Graham Henry, but, you know, they don't, it's become a way of life for them, right? Like it's, it's so, it's so organic, you know, and it's not, it's not manufactured. It's not like, it's not coach driven whatsoever, you know, like their players are so empowered that if a coach is late for me and their players call it the coach, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I, and I love that, you know, and, and um, I, I, I'm trying to get to that point. I'm, I, you know, I struggle with it, you know, it's hard because I always, you know, sometimes, especially younger players, younger athletes, um, from a, they just, from a maturity standpoint, they're just not there, um, you know, from just even a cognitive and, you know, physiological development point. Right. So it, the patience needed and to do something like that is, is so huge, but, um, it, uh, that's, that's my goal though, is, is to try to hand it over to the players, you know, and, and like, you know, I, I'm successful when I feel like I've succeeded when I've seen our kids rise up and lead. And when the kids stay behind and clean up and when the, without me telling them, you know, when the kids are not letting anyone sit alone in the cafeteria, you know, when the, when the kids are, um, you know, making sure that we're running on and off the field with purpose and intention and, and the way they respond when they're down in a game, like, you know, if I see our, if I see our team in the middle of a game and we're down, you know, and they're hanging our heads or someone's down at the, end of the sideline kicking rocks and spraying water like that that's me i feel like i failed you know but like when i see someone going and grabbing that guy at the end of the sideline pulling them back up to the group and and just when the kids are driving the bus it can be such a powerful thing you know and so um but again to kind of come back to your question i, I always try to have a framework a cultural framework that i can kind of take and 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 integrate and, and i present it 
but my goal is to let the players run with it, you know, and, and make it theirs, you know, so we're not the all blacks, right. So we don't, we're not gonna be able to do everything the all blacks do, but um, we can take some really basic principles. And one of the biggest things we've taken is sweep the sheds. Cause I feel sweep the sheds is, um, is just like a universal principle that whether you're an athlete or not, it's just a good thing to do. And that, and that means it's just no job is too big. No job is too small. And, and they, their best players, like their captains, responsibility their main responsibility is to clean up after themselves before they before they leave um their locker room after every game in practice you know so and they they talk about how they they do these things because they never want someone else to be responsible of their team success whether it's a coach whether it's a trainer whether it's anybody else they understand that it's about the players and if we're going to win a world championship or a world cup of rugby it's going to be on our players to do things right you know and their coaches their coaches are basically facilitators, you know, rather than dictators and motivators, you know, they just, and the players really, again, are the ones that set the tone. And, and I think that's something that we've kind of lost. It feels like in sports right now, like if you look around and again, like, I know we got to be careful we say, but if you look around the NHL or even professional sports in general, like it doesn't feel like we have a ton of great captains anymore. You know, like where we used to have, like, you know, when we were growing up, you had guys that were just, captains you're like that guy's a captain you know like and i think some of that's been lost and it's just and that's again maybe it's a culture of that's we've just become so much about me and the show but like there's just not there's not a ton of mark messies around anymore right like there's not a ton of um there's just they're few and far between right and uh i mean that's what makes those guys valuable but i i think that's because the coaches have become almost too smart, you know, and, and even the sports scientists and everyone that we, we all make it about us instead of making it about the players. And to me, it's about giving it back to the players and, and trying to create a framework for them to work with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to switch gears a bit here. Uh, Cause I think part of the art of coaching is uh, the art in programming. Uh, as you know, it's back science. Mm-hmm. Seen your programming transform quite a bit over the years. Uh, as far as I know, you were one of the first people implementing all the uh, Bosch type of exercises into your programs, uh, which, you know, it's gained a lot of traction in the last few years, but you've been using them uh, for a number of years now. Uh, in your movement and speed work, you know, you use a lot of eggs and kind of novel training techniques. What are some uh, novel, other novel implementations you've used in your programming and kind of how is your how do you blend the art and the science when programming for athletes? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it's, um, you know, that whole transition has been a really unique rabbit hole that I've dived down and gone really deep and kind of come back a little bit. And, and, you know, again, I think it's, uh, you know, as with all of us, it's good to kind of enter into new waters sometimes. And, and sometimes you realize that's been, that was a good, path to take or like well that went really bad you know um but i think you know my my founding principles never change for the most part right you know i try to understand that everything we do is gonna you know most of the things we're gonna do is gonna be on your feet and and multi-joint multi-planar you know and you know how we how we build power and how we build strength um you know those things may change a little bit but the end of the day the you know the basic principles behind those things don't change i think where um, I've had the most evolution behind is moving away from, and again, this may be an unpopular opinion, but moving away from, um, 
you know, the pursuit of strength, right. And just a pursuit of like, you know, trying to be able to guy that squats 400 pounds and benches 300 pounds. You know, we've basically taken, we don't even bench press anymore, you know, and, and really, um, you know, we don't, we, we, we back squat, but we don't back squat heavy, you know, and, and we, we do a lot more unilateral stuff, split stand stuff. Um, when we do back squat, it's, it's either ISO holds or it's, it's moving the weight fast, um, or dropping fast. Um, but it's, it's, it's really kind of changed. And, um, and again, I know a lot of people have some different opinions on that, but, you know, even from a force, a force profile standpoint, you know, it, although we've adapted and changed certain things just from even a strength and power standpoint, you know, our performance has, has, is only gone up and, and our testing numbers continue to go up. So we're still jumping higher. We're still running faster um, than we have when we were doing that things without the stress on the spines and the backs. And, and again, I think one mistake I made as a young coach was realizing that, you know, if I'm taking a 16 year old and we're going to back squat and Olympic lift two to three times a week. Um, and we're going to bench press two times a week. Now they've got to do this for, if they play, if they have a chance to play professionally or collegiately, they're going to do it for maybe another 10 and 15 years, you know, um, how's that going to feel? How's that going to look to them in 10 to 15 years, you know, from a, you know, a long-term development standpoint. And so I, again, I, I don't have any solid principle. Like I I'll always, again, I think it's very athlete dependent as well, you know, and what that athlete needs. But for the most part, we've, we've kind of changed a lot of things in terms of how we look at the athlete's body and the stress we're putting on it and the unneeded stress we're putting on it from a movement standpoint. Um, I guess, again, probably about, I want to say, I guess eight years ago, you know, I was a very, uh, I was probably a big exos guy, like a lot of people. And, um, you know, again, a big boil guy of like, you know, our movement was very structured that we did. We had a linear speed day, we had a lateral speed day, and then we had a multi-directional speed day and everything was like bucket, right? Like, you know, and everything kind of fit perfectly into it. And um, I kind of started looking into like, change of direction, um, cueing and, and, you know, what a lot of these, like what a lot of these drills, were these drills actually transferring to performance the way I wanted them to transfer? Like, were they making a difference? You know, so I had guys that would like cross over to base, like nobody's business. And then they could do a crossover to base to a shuffle step out to, you know, uh, you know, a, a perfect like drop back skip and, you know, all the, you know, basic fundamental like movements, which I don't think are bad, but at the same point, then I'd watch them in the field and I was like, does this transition? Is this, you know, and I still think, I think, I still think those exercises have value because I think sometimes it's more about training the muscles than it is actually training agility or change direction. So I think those are two different things, you know? Um, but I think, you know, so my idea around perception and action and coupling and, and realizing all the things that go into um, change direction um, and knowing how I can impact that. And am I just trying to replicate sport practice or am I trying, like what, again, what, what exactly am I trying to accomplish during this, this time? So I think, the, you know, we do very little, to be honest, we do very little uh, agility work anymore in the gym. A lot of it is like very game-based um and you know very like reactive and partner um and just reacting to 
to body weight and, and to transfer and to, to movement. And, and again, it's not trying to replicate that. Um, but I look at it from a constraints led approach. And again, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but so if I look at somebody that struggles moving in certain planes of movement or, you know, again, I need to understand, is that a coordination thing or is that a physiological thing? Or, you know, is it a mechanical thing? And, you know, I tack, I use the constraints that I create to attack those, whatever it may be, you know, so if it's, if it is a pattern, if they have trouble transferring weight, the water bags have been a huge, um, bringing in the water bags have been awesome in teaching guys how to transfer weight. Because if you, if you shuffle with a water bag and you, and you rotate that water bag through your midline, your body is going to naturally have to break down, um, and keep your weight to the inside. Otherwise you're going to fall over. You know, and so um, it's you let the body, I believe the body is, you know, has the ability to self-organize and figure things out if we can give it the right environment to operate under. And that's been the same with linear speed. And so I coach less and I, but I rep more, you know, so we do more reps of letting them, I call, I look at it as like teasing out the movement, right? So, you know, as I, as we're working on that movement, whether it's a lateral shuffle or a, a straight line sprint, you know, it's like, okay, if we're doing a straight line sprint, we're going to do it with, we got to break down the problem. So we're, we're going to watch you sprint. Something doesn't look right. Okay. We're going to take the arms out of the picture. I want you to sprint down straight. And we're going to cross our arms across our chest. All right. Okay. Well, that looks a lot better. So maybe there's something going on in the, in the T-spine and the shoulders and, and our arm action. Right. And then, so how can I again, focus on the bottom up and, and, and again, just again, to pick away, start to pick away the pieces to get, what I want to see in terms of a movement perspective, but it's not, um, I think I used to spend a lot more time talking and, and, and coaching and, and demonstrating where now it's a lot of, I want them to be able to rep it out and I want to be able to coach under fire. I want to be able to coach while they're moving. And so they can feel it. Um, because I think I big believer, if you can create feel within the movement, especially in hockey players, like when you're teaching hockey players how to run, they're just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Like, you know, like I'm like, like skating and running are so different. And, um, but it's same kind of similar at times and they have similar attributes, but for, again, for hockey players, they just, you know, sometimes they look like they're stuck. They run when they're, stu- you know, they're stuck yeah. in quicksand. Right. So, you know, letting them feel what it means to run tall, you know, what it, what it feels like to, to drive into the ground and pop and, and, and again, like, so whether it's going from a flat surface to a decline surface, to a, to a hill surface, it's all about, it's become less about a, a structure, traditional periodization model and more about moving on. Once I see we've graduated to the results that we need to see, you know, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why we work in such small groups um, and again, the hill's a little bit different because we got, you know, we got a lot bigger groups and younger athletes. But from a professional standpoint, it's been much about tailoring, tailoring our, our, our progress, you know. So we're not going to move on until we've earned the right to move on, you know, and that we, we know that we have our checkpoints through every model and every phase that we want to be hitting. And we want the athletes to know they've hit those phases and then they feel it and they can start to see it, you know. And so um, we run a lot. We do a lot of uh, sprinting, a lot of a lot of hill sprints. Um, we don't do we don't do heavy sleds. Um, I don't really believe in it, uh, you know, and um, we don't do we do a lot of toe. You know, we, we, we use extra genies or speed genies, um, which tow from behind. 
Um, but again, a lot of what we do um, is, is running. We used to lift every day. Now we only lift three times a week. Um, and then we do um, two, two days that are strictly dedicated to mostly sprinting or plyometrics. Plyometrics is as well something that I think has kind of lost. It's an art form that I think has been lost a little bit. And, and, I, and I, you know, again, there's such some incredible, you know, again, I went back and I was reading last night, I was reading Jim Rad- Radcliffe's book on plyometrics. And it's just like, there's so much gold in that book. And it's, you know, stuff that's yeah. from like 50 years ago. You know, so I, I think it's, I, I've, I've gone, when you saw me, I probably was gone really complex and overcomplicated to simplifying things, but not being tied to a specific model. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Um, yeah, that was a great answer. Uh, we're going to wrap up here uh, with a few kind of rapid fire or uh, quicker questions here. Um so is yeah. there anything, what are you reading right now? Or do you have any good book recommendations for our listeners? Yeah. What, um, I'm reading right now, uh, in the process of reading, um, I just finished range, which I think everybody needs to read range. I'm sure it's like a, it's like the new cliched strength coach book right now, but, um, it's a phenomenal book. Um, and just talks about, um, how the world belongs to generalists, you know, and, and getting away from the, the specialization model. And I think that reigns very true to, you know, the strength coach field right now is that we can no longer just focus on one thing, you know, and that we need to kind of be, um, you know, able to kind of contribute in a lot of different ways, a lot of different experiences and, and, and that, you know, you don't have to just take the path of, you know, going to school, get an internship GA and intern and intern and do this and that, like, and that, you know, again, it's kind of my, you know, that range book has kind of been my life, right? Like I, I probably have the most non-traditional path you could ever take to be a strength coach, but you know, all those things I think I went through helped me be the coach I am today. So um, I highly recommend range. And then I'm in the process of reading originals. Um, And it's just, it's just a book about trying to thinking the power of thinking outside the box and questioning things and, and, um, and understanding, you know, the the reasoning behind things and and just again how to look for opportunities um when problems arrive you know and just to kind of change the way you know one of one of my rules in life is to you know if i'm going to complain about a problem and and it becomes something i'm you know complaining pretty regularly about i want to be someone that maybe can help find a solution to that problem because maybe if i'm experiencing that problem other people are experiencing that problem so um just trying to be an optimist and always looking for opportunities to make things better so those are two books that i highly recommend from a, a sports uh science perspective um i just read mvp which is like a baseball yeah. book on pitching mechanics and and some of the yeah. new stuff that driveline is is doing and um it's a pretty in-depth read um and it's you know but it's i think there's a lot um i'm interested to see how the stuff with this is probably a conversation for another day but I'm really interested to see of what they're doing with pitching in baseball right now and how that can translate to shooting in hockey. Um, and um, I think there's some cool stuff being done right now in shooting and, you know, and, and in skating and like just the, the way we're teaching that from a mechanical and um, constraints led approach. So um, I think baseball seems to be in a really cool spot that they were forced to get to because of the yeah. amount of Tommy Johns that came up. So, um, yeah, definitely an interesting cool read. Uh, 
you and I could discuss that a little bit more uh, after the recording of this uh, podcast here, because uh, I want to get to a couple more questions for you here. Um, what are you curious or passionate about right now? Um, <laughs> I think I'm just like, I'm most curious about uh, just where my value lies these days. You know, I, sometimes I feel like I've been, you know, I've been doing the same thing for 14 years. Right. And uh, sometimes I think I get, I can get down on myself questioning whether do I still have an impact. Right. And, you know, is it, is it time for me to do something else or move on or what's the next challenge? But then I come back to of like, you know, when I, when I get back to why I'm doing it and making it about the people and realizing that, you know, the, the people I'm able to connect with every day, um, you know, makes, even though it's the same experience, it's, it's kind of that repetition without repetition, you know, and every year is different, but I think me, it's about, you know, where am, where am I going to go next in the, you know, in the next kind of the net, what are the next 14 years going to look like? Um, I, I think I have a lot of passion for my mind's really kind of moved towards skill acquisition and um, you know, and how we run practice and, um, and how and how we coach practices is it's been something I've become really passionate about. So I spent a lot of time researching and reading and learning from the people that are kind of in that field right now, and 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 hoping to kind of continue to, you know, explore yeah, down that rabbit hole. Uh, definitely into that a bit lately as well. I've been uh, book I'm working on right now is Peak by Anders Ericsson. Highly recommend that one if you yeah, haven't read yeah. it. Uh, in terms of skill development, talks a lot about deliberate practice and the importance of that. Um, but yeah, I want to thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it was very interesting, you know, talking to you. I hope our listeners, uh, you know, come away from this having learned a little bit more about building buy-in and motivating athletes. And, you know, I think you have a lot to offer our audience in terms of teaching them about uh, just the art of coaching. So we really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, and one thing I'll say, and just, uh, you know, again, I'm going to, you know, make you blush a little bit here, Alan, but, I'll, you know, I'll say to all the young strength coaches listening is that, you know, I've had a lot of interns come and go in the past, but, you know, I've, I've seen very few people kind of adapt and, and just be hungry to, you know, achieve their dreams like you have. And, uh, you know, I'll say um, every day you'd come in with, you know, a new podcast, you listen to books and asking questions and just like you're hungry, man. And, and it showed, you know, I got a lot of people that come in looking for handouts every day and and looking for, you know, the easy way to get to the top. And and you grinded, man. You had probably 10 different jobs, you know, getting to before you even came to me. And I just think you are the perfect example that every strength coach should be looking to and how to do things right. So, uh, like I said earlier, in the pod, I couldn't be more proud of you, man. And and I know the best is yet to come, but it uh, you just you've done an incredible job and and. Uh, I appreciate you, man. Oh, I thank you everything Dan, you're doing. You're uh, embarrassing me here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can pay me later. Great talking to you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Daniel Noble. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast and rate it using whatever streaming service you are listening on. You can also share this podcast with friends, connect with us on social media or by email. If you have ideas for future episodes, topics you want to hear about, the contact links are in the show notes for each episode. Thank you so much again for listening and we'll see you next time.